Hello, everybody. We have Drew Monkman and Jacob Rodenberg here. They are authors of the big book of nature activities. I am absolutely thrilled and honored to have them with us to share their expertise in this area. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So we are going to be uh, talking a little bit about your background, your backstory before becoming co-authors of the big book of nature activities. So I know that can be uh, lots to uh, share, but maybe before a little bit about uh, your your story, your stories before you met. Sure. Well, I was lucky enough, as Jacob speaking, to be um, raised as a wild child. In other words, my parents let me roam and frolic, and I did. So I'd be out in a conservation area, climbing trees, um, wading through ponds, just exploring. So that's the greatest gift my parents could give me. And I think I credit that to my love of nature. What about you, Drew? You know, Jacob, my uh, experience was very much the same. Um, free roaming uh, in the fields and along streams uh, behind our house, catching frogs and turtles. Um, developing quite an interest in birds, uh, partly thanks to a, a mentor of sorts that I uh, met through my father. So... Um, yeah, I became very interested in birds, uh, and that expanded to a general interest in nature, which, uh, in nature beyond birds, trees, uh, insects, uh, mammals, everything else, which eventually inspired me to write a book on how nature changes through the uh, seasons here in central Ontario. And... Uh, and I was able to uh, take my interest in uh, nature into the classroom, get kids involved, and, uh, you know, be uh, always on the lookout for activities that would engage them. So that's really uh, was sort of how I came to wanting to write a book like the big book. That's awesome. Terrific. So the big book starts with an introduction recipe, and I'm just going to take the time to read it because it just tickled me when I read it. Uh, so the introduction res recipe is take one child, place outdoors in green spaces, sprinkle in a dash of adventure, fold in a generous portion of exploration and discovery, top with wonder and awe, and let rise. I just think that is absolutely brilliant. So can you tell us, each of you, your own um, perspectives about the big book of nature activities, who who it's for and what's inside? Yeah, from my point of view, I'm pretty worried about just how much time kids are spending inside. I think we're raising indoor children. And what are the consequences of that? And more and more research is showing that just having time outside builds a sense of environmental advocacy and connection to nature. And if kids are learning about the rest of the wild world from the confines of four walls, who are going to be tomorrow's stewards and environmental advocates? So the first step is creating love and relationship with the living beings around us. So as teachers and educators, we need to give kids those opportunities. But how to do that when you're not trained in teachers' college and when you're uncomfortable taking kids outside. So we hope we demystify that. We give a whole bunch of simple activities they can do through each seasons of the year to help everybody feel more comfortable in being in their neighborhood, which is another way of saying mm -hmm. their community is more than just houses, buildings, people. It is the living systems that nourish us. So 
can we do that? And is there, I think, a greater calling for us educators in, in a world where we have 8 billion people sharing the planet, you know, there's climate change, biodiversity loss, habitat destruction, um, so much to be worried about. So we can start right there in our own school grounds by bringing nature back, by getting kids out on a regular basis, by teaching them to take care of the world right around them. That's great. And yes, uh, yes, and and the book is very much too, um, um, really for multiple users, for parents, for teachers, for grandparents, and I think what we try, what we tried to do was make something that's accessible, that is sort of a compendium of uh, a lot of different types of activities, also with an injection of what to expect in nature, in your part of North America, where you live, in each of the seasons, just a general overview of what is happening. So we are in the season sections, we start off with this overview of, uh, of what's going on in nature in your neck of the woods, you know, in the northeastern U.S. or uh, Pacific Northwest, wherever it might be. We also... Um, you know, we provide basic skills for connecting to nature, things as simple as hints for paying uh, attention, uh, some uh, back pocket activities to do with your kids when you're just out for a, an informal walk. Um, we bring in the wonder of evolution, too, that seeing the natural world through a, a, the lens of evolution makes everything more amazing that uh, seeing how nature's responded to different challenges on coming from the environment. And, and then for each, uh, each of the seasons, um, you know, we provide things like uh, uh, a poem for that season, uh, mm. what you can collect, what artwork you can do. We have an ongoing story of a chickadee by the name of Nightcap as Nightcap uh, has different challenges in, in each in each season. We look at what each season looks like and smells like and tastes like. So very much trying to bring in the uh, all uh, five senses. And then really the heart of the book is activities around uh, birds, around mammals, amphibians, fish, and invertebrates, so, and right up to the, uh, the night sky. So we cover a lot. It is indeed a it's big book <laughs> it is a big book it's we, it's we did, uh, but you really off, uh, as much as we could handle <laughs> but you capture it all your poetry you have all, you have it all which is just wonderful mm -hmm. so if you haven't uh known about this book go out and get it it's a must read uh so just thinking about why is nature and getting outdoors so important in a child's life yeah well there are rising levels of anxiety, mental health issues. This generation of children maybe won't live as long as the previous generation of children because they're not as physically active. They're spending all their time indoors. Something like an astonishing eight hours a day in front of a glowing screen. That's how they see the world. So what are they not doing? They're not outside playing, connecting with nature. And the health benefits of being outdoors, simply breathing in forest air um, increases your serotonin levels. That's the feel-good hormone. It boosts your immunity. It just makes you feel happier. And research has shown that when kids 
come in back inside after being outside, even for 15 or 20 minutes, they focus better, they cooperate more, they're just eager, more eager to learn. So why wouldn't you do that? And how sad it is that we teach kids again about the rest of the world from inside four walls. There's so much to discover right outside that door. There's a magical portal, which is a doorway into a wonderful outdoor world with so much to learn and explore. I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. Drew, any thoughts? Yes, on uh, just sort of to pick up on what Jacob was saying. I, I certainly agree that, you know, there's a real lack of nature literacy uh, really across the board these days, not just with children, but with, uh, you know, the parents and, and uh, you know, possibly people of, of all ages. So, I think that needs to be addressed. I, I was out with a university class the other day. Uh, these were students in environmental education. And we stopped and the professor asked them to try to uh, identify as many of the trees and shrubs and uh, there were still some insects flying uh, that were around them. And these kids struggled to identify more than three or four species. And these were kids in environmental education, you know, whip smart, uh, but it just was never anything that was part of their lives. They're they're growing up, so so I mean, nature nature is important because we need to create, build a, a new generation of, of environmental advocates, and uh, that's not going to happen unless you have a sense of what is out there and what stands to be lost. And it's also an easy sell, an easy sell in that nature makes kids happy. They're born biophilic. You know, as a teacher, um, uh, especially in that age group from about 8 through 12, uh, kids just loved going outside with me, even into the schoolyard, yeah. engaging in all sorts of things. It was always, uh, there was never any, oh, no, do we have to do that again? You know, so... Um, yeah. So, uh, and so, so envir environmental advocacy, that's my, that we were going to steer mm -hmm. right back into that. Any thoughts on how, how nature education can be linked to this environment? I can't agree more with that relationship with nature. Any thoughts, Jacob? So, wonderful research done by Thomas Tanner, who once ask the question, well, there are people that would give up their lives to protect a forest or a river. How did they get to be that way? Like, what was it about their childhood that made them so sensitive and caring for, for, for nature? And it turns out, well, what Thomas Tanner did is he interviewed environmentalists, conservationists from around the world, and he said, what'd you do as a kid? And invariably, they responded, well, we were outside. So what they were doing is they were building relationships with the natural spaces. And when you build a relationship, you begin to care. What does it take? It takes intention, mindfulness, gratitude, hard work, reciprocity. But all of those things you can teach kids. And once you begin to learn the stories of the land, the characters that inhabit the landscape, you begin to realize those are animate things. Those are living beings. They merit being treated with respect. So it starts with what's right there in your own school ground, your own backyard. You are the occupiers of that space. How can you make that more nature rich? How can you bring nature back? And when you do that, you build hmm. a sense of hope. And that's so important because in today's world, kids are literally sort of bending under the weight of a very difficult future. 
Again, climate change, pollution, species depletion, habitat destruction. Where's the agency in that? How do you not feel overwhelmed and, and sort of mm -hmm. feeling a sense of apathy because you can't do anything, but you can do something on the space that you occupy. You can bring a bit of nature back by rewilding, planting a pollinator garden, getting to know what lives there. Um, so for example, that green smear, which is the pine trees, the oak trees, the maples, once you begin to resolve those into different species, they become characters and friends when you're outside. The wall of sound, which every season has its signature sounds, if you begin to distill those and say, oh, that's a nuthatch, or that is a squirrel chattering, you begin to feel less alone, like you belong to something bigger than yourself. And maybe that's the greatest gift that we can give children is for them to appreciate that they're an integral part of the very life systems that, um, yeah, and, and we're a little less alone, a little less alienated, and we feel like we're doing something positive. If kids can ask themselves every day, you know, what did I do that did more good than harm, that, that made the world a better place? And teachers can help to make that happen. Mm, well said, well said. Yes, yes. Uh, I don't really know what more I can add. Maybe a little anecdote. Um, I often hear back from uh, my former students. Uh, I've been retired now for a number of years, but every once in a while, I'll get an email or a telephone call from, from, from a former student. And one I received, uh, oh, probably about six months ago was from a boy who I taught in grade six, who has gone on to become a mechanical engineer. And uh, he has taken a special interest in, in research on green energy. And he uh, emailed me to say that, it, that some of the experiences that we did as a, that I offered the class back in grade six, around um, going out into the schoolyard, around, um, he, he cited one, one project I gave them, and that was to put together a photo journal of species uh, that were sort of representative of each season. So he had, he had monarch butterflies in the fall, he had the changing leaves, and then winter, winter buds and winter landscapes, and then the greening uh, of the landscape in the spring and frogs. So it was, it was a full year project. And uh, he said that he still has it, that he still thinks about it, and that those that year, those experiences really brought the natural world alive for him. Mm. And uh, he, uh, <laughs> he said it really informs uh, his passion now around green energy. So... But um, and, yeah, and, it, it's it, always a bit of a mystery how people become environmental advocates. But I certainly agree with uh, with Jacob that being outdoors, being you know camping, camping can be hugely influential. Getting the taking your kids out camping, um, but being outdoors, a nice mixture of free roaming, just romping through the woods and discovering and building forts and doing all of those sorts of things. And then at a certain point, maybe something a little bit more formal, learning, learning the birds, learning the animals. And it, it, can it could never be more easy than it is now with the amazing apps that are available, yeah. like uh, iNaturalist and uh, eBird and Merlin, Merlin with Bird Sound ID. So it's, it's all very exciting. So there's, it's very... Uh, Nature is very attainable these days. Uh, if you 
Well, just get outside and there's a world to discover. It really is. And your book is just, it, it allows you, if if anyone feels like they're not a naturalist or they don't identify mm. themselves as, you know, as an adult naturalist in terms of trying to inspire children's and children and families, your book is a wonderful, wonderful uh, resource for that. So thinking along those lines in terms of how can, and we sort of touched upon different things that families can do. Um, in their backyards and their schoolyards, and um, but really trying to close this gap of nature deficit disorder, and all of we were talking about children really not using their senses. Uh, any additional thoughts in terms of how children, how we can get more children outdoors, how we can get school administrators and principals and superintendents kind of on board into in this movement? Of yeah, so. If it's helpful, I wrote a guide called The Guide to Outdoor Learning for Educators that have got a lot of hints. It's got letters you can write to your administrator about why you're taking kids outside. It's got a whole bunch of different activities, a complement to the big book of nature activities. Um, but in essence, it's practicing those nature skills by going outside over and over again to the same places so you can see how they change through the seasons and when you do that kids start developing a relationship with that place much like you develop a relationship with people and practicing action skills bill hammond says that we become advocates when we engage in action we reflect on action and then so doing something positive, like rewilding. So you take a hula hoop and you throw it onto the lawn and you count all the life that's there. And then you allow one corner of your school ground or your backyard just to grow back again. And then a little while later, throw that same hula hoop in the rewilded area and count all the life that's there. And you'll be amazed mm. at what comes back. Nature wants to regenerate. And I'm going to say something maybe a bit controversial, but I don't like the word sustainable because sustaining something implies a steady state. I, I love the word regenerative, meaning mm. now more than ever, we need to bring nature back to our built spaces and we need to show kids how they can live in a low carbon world. And so here at the main camp, we have straw bale buildings, we have solar panels with solar ovens and kids get a chance to bear witness to that because they need to see how you can live more gently, more differently and more richly in the natural world by including nature, not being practicing nature apartheid, which is building spaces where there's concrete everywhere and asphalt, but being mindful and always including nature in whatever we do. So even if you're in a highly urbanized area, you can have planter boxes in the windowsill. You can have a little pollinator garden with a few plants right outside the door. There's always ways to bring nature back. Fantastic. <laughs> Drew. Yes. Uh, so much to say. <laughs> um, as, as far as um, things that I'm, I'm going to get a, a little bit more concrete here and just provide a few examples of what uh, what parents can do, what grandparents can do, what what teachers can do. Um, so, for example, just um, planting and maintaining gardens, vegetable gardens, especially with uh, younger children, um, giving them responsibility, for example, for a sec at least a section of the garden is ex extremely uh, powerful. You know, maintaining, setting up, maintaining uh, bird feeders as well and keeping an eye, you know, charting what, what species come. Um, raising... Uh, 
Raising monarch butterflies is a wonderful, wonderful activity, if not monarchs and other species of butterfly, and watching that whole magical process of metamorphosis. If your municipality allows it, uh, something that I'm very impressed with is uh, raising chickens. My daughter in Montreal, they have, they have a chicken coop and her kids are six to 11 years of age and they have bond bonded with those chickens uh, wow. more than you could ever imagine. Uh, so, this, you know, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a specific animal is uh, is very important. And, you know, getting outside, letting kid, the kids catch frogs and snakes, uh, letting them kind of be a satellite parent, let them get out ahead of you and off into the woods, not too far, but allowing them to do some some free uh, free romping, you might say, through the, through the woods. Um, it's very powerful, too. Just as far as the schoolyard is concerned, um, one thing that I did, this was a project that, is ongoing that I that I began uh, way back in 1990 was naturalizing a corner of the schoolyard, an area just a little smaller than an acre, getting all of the classrooms involved, uh, um, planting trees, uh, planting a prairie garden, planting a vegetable garden, making pathways, uh, putting down even the kindergarten. Uh, kids could go out and spread wood chips on the pathways. And um, uh, if you were to visit this area now, we call it the habitat area at our Edmondson Heights Public School in Peterborough, Ontario. It looks it looks like a woodlot that has always been there. A woodlot <clears throat> laced with uh, pathways and a, and a seating area and bird feeders and a rain shelter. So I mean that this was Beautiful. a very big project, but uh, you know naturalization projects uh, on any scale, I think, are are very very powerful. Yeah, Especially you, if you can get a, a a faculty member, a, a teacher who's extremely uh, committed, and uh, you know for for the long haul, so that you have at least uh, you know a good five years to get the get the project up and running. Yeah, and you had older kids taking younger kids out, developing field guns. Mm -hmm. it's such a neat idea, and it's it's used quite extensively. Yes, yes, and and you know something else. Um, these this is uh, in the in the big book of, of nature activities is adopting a tree. If you are fortunate to be <laughs> to have a schoolyard where there are a number of trees. Um, Students, either individually or as a group, can adopt a tree, give it a name, and just watch how that tree changes over the course of the school year from September through to June, when the leaves start changing color, when the leaves drop, um, <clears throat> when the buds start to swell in the spring. Um, you know, watching what emerges from one bud, all that mm -hmm. comes out of one bud is quite amazing, putting a clothespin on the on the twig and seeing the leaves and often the flower that comes out of the bud is um, a great activity. And well, I always had a classroom a terrarium as well. I had a collection table, a nature collection table. Um, we built nesting boxes. We built uh, very simple uh, feeders. So no, uh, yeah, there's no limit, no end to the- No limit to no end. 
<laughs> and fantastic, fantastic. The very, very lucky children in your in your worlds. Uh, is there anything else that we did not touch upon that you would like to share? Uh, anything? So I think what's really important is that it starts with small steps, small achievable steps. And it could be, as Drew suggests, you know, a little garden or a, a nature table. And the nature table could be something like, hey, um, you can bring something and take something. So, for example, if someone mm. had an interesting looking bone, then maybe they take it home, but they replace it with a really neat looking stick that they found. So the nature table changes as the seasons unwind. Um, yeah. And also... Another really important point is you don't need to know a lot about nature to take kids outside. In fact, it's great if they can make the discovery with you together. So kids are born explorers, so let them explore. And if they come up with, say, well, what is this? Then maybe you take the time to look it up and find out and find out more about it. So our brains are hardwired to listen to stories. So it's not the name itself, but it's the story behind the name that's important like that red oak tree. Um, oaks are one of the most biodiverse trees there are and attracting a lot of insects and birds. So every one of those beings has a story and let's find out about that. Very well said, thank you. Yes, and um, let's see, how can I, how can I uh, <laughs> put this into, uh, into words exactly? Um, Obviously, uh, climate change is, is front and center in, I hope, in everyone's minds these days, but children are definitely much more aware of what is going on than we might think. And certainly many of them uh, are experiencing a significant degree of anxiety and, and want to know what they can do. So as much as it's extremely important, absolutely essential to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in every way possible. You know, you don't, we're not going to see the benefit of doing that until well down the road. It's not as if, you know, within six months or a year, we start to see a reduction in temperature or whatever it might be. But one, one thing you can do where you're going to see immediate payoff is in creating small habitats be they be they gardens or you know planting trees a little uh, grove of trees or any type of habitat restoration on any scale almost immediately you'll see it being used by butterflies by bees by pollinators um our habitat area at, at the school that I was talking about just within a few years, there were there were all kinds of migrating birds that would regularly stop there in the spring and fall because it was the only little patch of trees in in that particular uh, neighborhood. So, you know, getting involved in that in, in those sorts of projects, I think, can be very empowering, very inspiring. Kids can see an immediate payoff and feel they're doing something to protect, enhance uh, biodiversity, you know, um, and biodiversity is, is, is definitely uh, under threat as a result of climate change. So, you know, and one thing that um, people can do in their schoolyards or even their backyards is create something called a Miyawaki forest or a pocket forest. This is developed in Japan. And what it is, is first of all, tending to the soil, 
and then planting in concentrated ways in layers. And if you do it right, you can look this up, you can have a forest that's a hundred times more biodiverse than a forest that just regenerated on its own. So it's kind of like a concentrated forest. Hmm. So that, that's a way to bring nature back to a small space. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much for your time, for everything that you are doing to bridge the gap of nature deficit disorder and getting all these incredible activities that you're offering seeds of inspiration for so many teachers, parents, administrators, or anybody that's interested in this work. Uh, where can we find you if folks are obviously we've got this incredible you've got many many books which I will <laughs> I will link in the show notes mm -hmm. uh, we focused on one today or a couple but um, anything that you would like to where we can find you under my desk sometimes <laughs> <laughs> curled up in the fetal position <laughs> no so. I love it when people reach out and ask for suggestions. I can be found at jacob at campcortha.ca. That's my email. And maybe you could share that. Yes, I will put that in the show notes. Yeah. And Drew has this wonderful website with all kinds of um, articles and ideas of what happens during each season of the year as a complement to the Big Book of Nature activities. You want to talk about that, Drew? Yes. Uh, yeah, I maintain a website. It's uh, easy to remember drewmonkman.com <laughs> and um, I, I, I write a, a weekly nature slash environment column for the Peterborough Examiner here uh, in Peterborough, Ontario. So my 650 plus columns can be found there, many of which uh, touch on, on environmental education, including um, my experience, our experience is creating this um, habitat area, this school year naturalization area. But it also includes um, information on climate change in this part of, uh, of uh, Ontario, what we're seeing, how the temperatures are changing, nature sightings, a uh, whole bunch of stuff. So, yeah. Well, and I, uh, yeah, I'm, I also post on Facebook uh, as well. I try to put a fair, a fair amount of climate-related, nature, bird-related content on Facebook. Those are my the two main areas you can see what I'm up to. <laughs> and so the best medicine for the nature deficit disorder is vitamin N, vitamin nature, mm. getting it on a regular basis, every day, a big dose of it. That's the best way to restore the balance that we have upset, getting people to love and care for the earth that's right beneath their feet. So open the door and go outside. Yeah. Yes, no matter no matter what the weather. So again, thank you for your time, everything that you are doing to bridge the gap and uh, lead this, help us lead this movement. So again, thank you again. Thank Thanks you for, for having us. Yeah.